Alright, welcome back everybody. This is a two-parter right here. We are in the studio today. You know, banging them out. We got a lot of hot content for you guys. And uh, we were about to get into one, you know, that I wanted to talk about. I don't know if this is too deep for the first couple minutes of the podcast. So why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, see, see where you're coming from, you know. Which topic? I wanted to talk about death and what happens after you die. Alright. Are you prepared for this? Of course I am. It's little Tony. You know, we're in the closet here. Well, we're coming out of it. Well, yeah, no, we're in the closet. We are in the closet. We're in little Tony's closet here. Um, Let's talk about it. Um, I think that uh, after you die, I think that... I don't know, I'm pretty open to what I believe there. I don't really have a strict belief, actually. So sort of agnostic. I'm I'm just (laughs) open-minded. I think something happens, but I don't know what happens. So why? I don't really want to assume. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that there's one right way to think about it and anything else is completely... Why so many assumptions? I believe something happens for sure. I just don't know what happens. I'll find out when I get there. I tell you what, guys, if I come back, I will make sure we have an episode to let you know what happens. Um, <laughs> that would be, you know, medically... Coming in from the fourth dimension. I, would, I, I, I think it's possible. We, we could probably get someone, one of you guys out there, come on, someone volunteer for this. Well, maybe we can't condone this. Never mind. But I'll tell you what I was going to say, but we're not going to do. Uh... <laughs> And, okay. So, medically what we should do, you were saying, is... We should see if... We should... I think we can do this if it hasn't already been done, but... Bring someone to the brink of death... With... with But be able to bring them back. Um, and see what happens. See if we can figure something out there. You know, it's funny that you say that because I actually knew um, somebody who wrote a book about dying and then coming back to life. Oh, there's so many stories like that, yeah. And he he was pretty much the original story. He got really popular in about the 2000s um, with his book, Heaven is for Real. You might have heard of it. Um, I talked to somebody about it, and they had heard of it, and it kind of blew my mind. You know the guy that wrote that book? Yeah, so... (coughs) Oh my god, I'm fucking up the sound levels here. Anyway, um, there was a, you know, this this kid who had a medical illness, and he went to the hospital, and he was pronounced medically dead um, for a little while, and it was enough that he saw himself going to heaven and seeing everybody that he knew there, and he was able to describe it and talk to his dad about it. And his dad was a pastor, and he wrote a whole book about it. And that kind of blew my mind, you know. That's insane. I actually got to talk to the kid, but I never, yeah. I never really asked him about it. You know, we were kind of just childhood friends, I guess, um, for a little bit. And just that idea to me is such a crazy experience because... <coughs> God damn. Um, because... 
when you have the ability to to see something like that, it makes me question, you know, from a psychological standpoint, whether that experience is what causes people to believe in religion, or if the belief in religion is what causes people to have that experience. Because it's been established that there's things like the placebo effect that can influence your brain into having certain not normal experiences with all these cutouts. You fucking... I deleted the one where you talked about Eli being a Cambodian, man. That shit was hilarious. Wait, what did oh. I even say? I don't even remember that. Oh, God. Like, people believing that they've been talked to by God or some kind of entity like that. And, you know, it's it's very evident that the power of your brain has a lot of, you know, power over your subjective influence. Or, sorry, your subjective experience. Um, and it's interesting to me, though, because I, I'm not really sure what I believe about the afterlife, you know? I think human consciousness goes a little bit beyond the gray matter of your brain. I think, I want to believe that it's special somehow and that it comes from somewhere. I think the universe has its own certain uh, mystery and, and extravagance to it where, you know, things are pretty, uh, let's say, unlikely to happen most of the time, like us being here and being carbon-based life forms. So I believe that's kind of a, a special kind of power of coincidence and survival. I think life is meant to be. <clears throat> then, like, looking at how we evolved, um, <clears throat> you know, we came from, I think it was you that told me this, um, what we were talking about, at least. I mean, I'm aware of it, but how we started as a single cell. Yep, everything did. And in every living form starts as a single cell, no matter how big, no matter how big or how small, every organism starts as a small cell, and it develops characteristics and it uh, uh, the ideas of what it needs to do to survive, and then repopulate, and then when it becomes, if we're talking about a human or an animal. These cells repopulate into billions and trillions of cells as it forms that animal or that human being. And at some point along the way, we gain consciousness. And that's the really confusing part to me, is where does that come from? You know, is that inherent in, in the elements and the matter of, of the universe? Or is that something special that comes from another place, you know? Do we have life breathed into us when we were made out of clay by the G.O.D. of the Bible? Or did we, you know, come from some kind of other creature or other thing, something that was gifted with intelligence? You know, our good friend Randini has a lot of theories about this. Shame he couldn't be here with us today. We miss you very dearly. We'll have to call in the expert next week. Yeah, we'll get him, or, well, it might be another week before we can get him on here. Yeah. He's a a full schedule, that guy. You know, it's all right. The the nature of of Uncle Tony's closet is that it's not always, you're not always sure what's in there. You know, you never know. You never know what we throw in Uncle Tony's closet and come and find. But it'll be a big surprise, and it'll be a lot of fun. That's the one thing you can say about Uncle Tony's closet. And, 
<coughs> the special treat we have Uncle for you. Uncle Tony is not to be complete uh can um, um hold on, rewind. Uncle Tony is not to be confused with Sleepy Tony. Uh, Who's that? It's when I get too tired. Okay, yeah, Sleepy Tony just been in a couple episodes where this guy just disappears after the 20 minute mark. Because I'm out. I fall asleep. He runs out of energy like a freaking steam engine. In the couch. I'm a nuclear reactor, you see. I could go all day. I do a little bit of everything here on the show. Not to brag or pat myself on the back or anything. And the nature of our podcast is that it's uh, brought up by a group of friends. You know, we have a very specific dynamic. And we all know about some specific things. You know, you're the business guy. Uh, I guess I think of myself as the psychology guy. HR, man. You're HR. Yeah, I'm doing all kinds of HR services, whatever it may be. You know, I wear many hats in the office around here. You know, editor, producer, writer. The looks, the brains. Um, well, I don't know. I'm really a, what a, I'm a. Can you think of other? No, I I'm, can't think of anything I could else. Be a, I could be a marketing sales. Logistics. Oh yeah, and of course, uh, Randini Scumini, who's not currently with us. It. He IT, does all the technological secu- stuff. Uh, Cyber security. He keeps our data safe. He's our he's our whole IT and data and. Information technology. Researches uh, conspiracy theories for us. Yeah. He tests our network capabilities for us. Penetration testing, we do a lot of that. Yeah, he does penetration testing on the network for us. Every two to three <laughs> days, really. If you're not Sometimes familiar, you got to penetrate up to twice a day. If you're not familiar with penetration testing, uh, you should definitely look it up. Uh, penetration testing on the internet uh, for websites. Uh, it's, a, it's a hot topic. Right it now? is a job for hackers. You know why? Yes, have you seen I do. what Anonymous has been Randini doing? Randini wanted to be a but, but have you seen penetration what, tester. What about what Anonymous has been doing to, um, you know, internet and websites and individuals all around? Um, currently, we're seeing it with the war in Ukraine and Russia. Um, they are attacking Russia's uh, cyber infrastructure heavily. Um, today I seen that, or it was a few days ago actually, but I just seen it today, that they actually uh, hacked and shut down their um, one of their top security websites. They were also working on like the banking systems. Yeah, they added they added they really high target shit. You know, they're really targeting Russia, um, which is. In my opinion, it's awesome. What yeah, personally, does. I think it's great. You know, they got um, Donald Trump when he was, you know, convicted of the entire Epstein thing and, and his corroboration with him. Um, and they brought forward a lot of evidence and they got shit done. And it's nice that we have a way to protect ourselves against the people who think they're untouchable, you know? I think that's what makes America great, honestly. You know, if you want to twist it that way, because you're able to defend yourself up to the Supreme Court if you really have to against anybody who commits some kind of wrong. You just have to be able to convince people that your issue is important. And if you're a good speaker and you're a good people person, you could probably do that to some extent, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's all about how you play the game. 
It is indeed all about how you play the game. Um, I mean, the 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 information they put out and the actions they take is awesome. Sometimes they like to josh people. Um, they like to tell you to keep your eyes out for something, and then nothing happens. But and I think that's or, just, or something happens, but it's something small. Yeah, that's like a yeah. demonstration of power almost. You know, you get people. Uh, anticipating and, and see who anxious. shows up yeah yeah if people speak out about it then you know they're kind of scared so it's it's really it, it's all about in this day and age the the citizens are gaining back power and it's not just where you have to sit back and accept everything from the government anymore you know you can even the police to some extent you can talk back to the police and if you know how to conduct yourself you you might be okay you know depending on the situation but it, it's to a point where if you're smart you can make a lot of stuff happen so we we try to encourage people to stay educated and up-to-date on things uh, it's hard you know it's hard to stay updated on current events and on you know all your all your P's and Q's and your T's and your I's but what do you gotta do with a P? Uh, you gotta dot your P's and cross your Q's and yep <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how it goes yep it's uh cross your T's and dot your I's but yeah we can go with that I think it was Lil Uzi Vert who said P's and Q's oh, really? no that's been around that's been a, a saying for a while um you just gotta be on them you gotta be on your P's and Q's oh, um yeah. so that's advice for all our listeners out there you know stay on your P's and Q's um and Awareness is the name of the game. You know, if you are in a situation, you have to consider all the possible outcomes of the situation based on what you do because that's the way that you protect yourself, I guess, from doing something dumb. And it's it's hard to do because it requires you to be thinking all the time pretty much. But once you get used to it, you could you could do it pretty well. And I think that's, you know, my biggest piece of advice. That comes from a, a book I was talking about, Island, by Aldous Huxley. He's a philosopher. I was actually reading some philosophy earlier this week, too, by Immanuel Kant. Very interesting shit. What Basically, what he was saying was that there is certain knowledge in your brain. This, this paper was called um, On the Critique of pure reason so if, if you can kinda guess what that means it's it's the way that the people think is kinda messed up so I only I kinda got to the you know the very beginning the first two um, clauses but what he was saying was that there's certain information which you learn through experience mm -hmm. and there's certain things that you know with absolutely no prior experience you know you can just guess what's gonna happen and you know what's gonna happen in your brain like like if I wanted to set an example you know you might learn that a kettle is hot by touching a hot kettle and burning yourself but you know that a fire is hot just by looking at it and feeling the warmth and you know don't touch that you know so yeah I thought that was very interesting example. 
Yeah, I was wondering what your um, thoughts on subjective experience were because when you're dealing with business, it's very facts-based. But when you're dealing with people, they each have their own interpretation of every situation. And yeah, so when you get in a in a business side of this, you want to interpret the customer, um, and you want to be unique with each customer on how your delivery is going down. Um, so with that being said, you want to know who are you dealing with at that company, what is their position, um, whether it's a group of individuals in a certain department or multiple departments, or if it's one point of contact at that department. I would also add that you have to know the person's temperament and how they react to certain situations. You want to know all about these people. You want to know uh, everything you, you can. In, in business, you learn to build character profiles on people very quickly, uh, mentally, and you kind of just storm up in your head. Who's going to get the work done the fastest? Who's going to dawdle a little bit? Who's going to produce a really good product? All those things. Um, and then you can decide how you want to proceed. Yeah, I think I think really the hardest thing to do, like I said, is to, to consider everything ahead of time and to really take time and think about things. Because we live in a world that's very right now based, you know, with, with phones and social media. You don't have to be wasting any time when you're out because you can be doing something on social media or on your phone. And I, I suppose that's good. In, in some essence, you could be technically you could be making money trading stocks at a club or a restaurant. You know, literally, if you're on mobile data, you just sell your Bitcoin whenever it's peaking, you know. And I, I think that's great, but it also complicates things in, to an insane degree because we're built psychologically, we're evolved to respond to certain stimulus and people can really easily abuse the stimulus and use them to transform your thoughts. And pretty much everything you, you do on your phone is, is shaped to program you when you're a user of it. Because we we watched a movie um, for one of my classes called The Social Dilemma, and I watched that. Uncle Tony and I watched the movie together because it was so mind blowing. Um, and basically, what they said that really sticks with me is, if you are using a product and you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. Which means, in some sense, they're going to be sort of taking advantage of you, you know, they might use your data. We've seen that happen with things like Facebook. They openly were stealing data from people and using it to build advertisement profiles. And from a business sense, that might seem like the best thing to do, but from a humanitarian perspective, that's pretty fucked up, if you ask me. What are your thoughts about that? Do you think that's good business? To take advantage? No, to, to build a profile of someone and what they like and use it, you know, use your technology to analyze them and, and get them ultimately yeah, to spend okay, more no. money. Because no. Target used to provide people deals based on their past shopping history. That's, I mean, it's tough. If the users can agree to being a part of that, yes. You know, because if they can agree to it, then they agree to it, but... Um, Informed decision. But... 
it also is going to lose a lot of money by pulling their current line because if you can just do it all the time in store out of store whatever you're set yeah their their goal is to get you to look as, at as many advertisements as possible throughout your day you might not notice it but it's it's becoming increasingly more true now they they kind of trick you because they'll automatically sign you up for stuff yeah, you get the newsletter. You automatically are signed up from newsletter, emails, notifications. And they notify you about deals. That's where they get to you is through the the benefit. Then you use the phone app and they get your phone number on there. Yep. And then they got everything they need. All of a sudden, you're in the system now. And they have your email and your phone number, all your information, probably your address, your credit card number for sure. Oh, yeah and they have this profile of you whether or not you know it and it's everyone just because they they process so much incoming data they might as well store it somewhere and it doesn't seem evil at first but when it's applied it becomes a matter of you know personal privacy because like I said when we didn't have that technology people had more privacy and why shouldn't we now be able to uphold the same standards uphold them yeah well I there's not a lot of people advocating for it because we, we love more. technology and we love advertisements but we need more people on the board yeah we need more people on the side of humanity and certain people are woke enough to be doing that and they warn you about it because they study psychology and they study the stimulus that makes your brain respond the way it does. And they know that there's bad things going on the way that our, our brains are now being engineered to crave this dopamine and the bright lights and all, all the sounds and the notifications, the vibrations. They hate it. Yeah, and, and it's programmed into you now, you know? And it can only compound and, and become more and more as time goes on and we develop new technology. So we have to be aware of that and we have to watch out for it and protect ourselves. You know, but people kind of stop protecting each other or ourselves now in lieu of new technology. You know, we have face ID for our phones because it's easy and it's the quickest way. Before that it was the thumbprint but those are both ways of analyzing you and your personality and your identity, well not your personality, but your identity and, and you know your entire biogenetic makeup and they probably store that data somewhere. Apple's pretty good about it but you can bet your sweet bippy that they're doing something you know because it's in their best interest as a business and businesses promote more business so it's like it's a self-sustaining cycle you know when when we get more technology we get more business and we get more business and we get more technology and that's great you know but when you consider the effect that it has on people and even on you know like developing nations and things like that you know there are definitely some good aspects there's a lot more you know societal people are sharing things and able to teach one another things and you see different problems that go on around the world 
and you're able to donate money from your house to that place or that organization. So I think that's pretty cool. I think that there's going to be a, a big influx of, of people helping technology around the world and that we should focus on that as well as environmental technology. You know, I'm a big, big advocate for putting grass on your roof because uh, I come from a city in an urban environment and when it rains too much the storm drains flood and push shit water out in the sewers and it's because there's so much concrete and not enough you know green grass soil all that kind of stuff that that fights these things naturally so if you actually put filtration devices substrates of soil and all this and that on top of your roof you can start growing local plants that are designed to absorb the water and moisture they use it obviously to produce oxygen and they actually regulate the soil uh, temperature which keeps your house or your building warm in the winter and cool in the summer you know to some extent but it's definitely a money saver and it absorbs water you know theoretically what I think is that you could use this water to um, you know do things that don't require clean water so like flushing the toilet for example um, you know heating all this different kinds of water usage we can use recycled and reclaimed water and then you you not only save the environment but you save your company money plus I've talked about this before but consumers now look out for companies who are environmentally conscientious and they're ethical and they have a good footprint so you will get more business while you save money by doing these uh, conservation techniques and I think that's really the direction that we need to go in um, as a country and kind of as a, a people you know a human race you know we all need to buckle down a little bit make some sacrifices reduce that carbon footprint stop pumping out methane nitrous oxide hydrofluorocarbons ozone you know water vapor is actually a greenhouse gas the list just goes on and on xenon argon things that are found in cleaning products and oh yeah fertilizers is a good one we use way too many fertilizers for our crops and they're made out of chemicals which cause big uh, environmental impacts so if we can all work to make ourselves part of nature you know as they already do in some parts of the world where people recognize things like animism the belief in animism is that everything around you has its own energy and its own life force basically because it's a part of the world essentially and the, the fact that you are seeing it and experiencing it means that there is some inherent significance in that so if you if you if you grow up with some kind of code like that where you're taught to respect your environment and your surroundings you don't have to worry as much about building a big factory that that destroys the environment because you're going to be a little more conscientious of that you know and it's it's not that 
building big factories and big buildings is wrong. You know, it's it's the most logical choice for us. But we need to do it in such a way that we don't take away from what was previously there and lose the value that was inherent in the trees and the land and the services that they provide because forests actually, especially like rainforests and the most dense kind of tropical ones that produce the most variety of plants and animals, those provide services that equal billions to trillions of dollars. Like if you took the Amazon rainforest back when it was in its prime and, and basically untouched, it was producing such a high amount of medicine and herbs and you know all these different plants that contribute to nitrogen fixing cycles and phosphorus you know all, all these different um, things that are designed to regulate the environment that surrounds them and the animals produce their own products and their own special compounds and all this they each have their own unique role in the ecosystem that is worth more than any city could ever produce in terms of GDP. You know, if you take a place like New York City, there's, uh, you know, there's big sections of trees and plants and parks and all this good stuff, but it'll never equal what was there to begin with. So if humanity finds a way to progress where we are alongside nature and we allow ourselves to reap the benefits of what we already have rather than what we can produce we can start to see things that we've we've never experienced before you know things that will allow us to have cleaner energy and you know better food better medicine stuff like that because if you know me you know that I talk about hemp and I did an entire um, thing about hemp, an entire presentation at one point. And what I found out doing my research was that originally there was a diesel engine that was designed to run off of hemp oil. And I was like, there's no way. You know, this seems like one of those WordPress blog posts, you know, hyperboles that that's not really true. And I looked into it a little more. It, I had trouble finding, you know, good sources because a lot of people don't talk about the real reasons that marijuana and hemp were made illegal. Um, but I had to dig into it for this uh, presentation. So I found out that not only could you make diesel fuel out of hemp oil, which is able to be grown here locally in the United States, you can also produce any basically any kind of plastics that you would be producing with gasoline and petroleum you can produce them with hemp so that means in some sense they're more biodegradable more able to be broken down and you're not expending fossil fuels you know it's a renewable resource so theoretically it would be a lot cheaper as well but the reason we don't have diesel powered engines that are powered by hemp is because now this is where it gets crazy folks stick with me here there was a uh, petrochemical company called DuPont Motors and they were working on producing nylon 
and their nylon was made out of petroleum and fossil fuels and they were like this is the shit I can't wait until we start giving people plastic and diesel but at the same time they were producing the diesel engine with hemp and people didn't like this because they had money in the uh, chemical company and now the thing is that the chemical company didn't think they were doing anything wrong by producing um, gasoline you know giving people the means to power their cars and go places to where you know they want to wherever the fuck they want but had they just had they not done that the way that they did it we would have had access to an alternate fuel source which is clean and local and not subject to surge pricing like people are complaining about here in the United States all the time and it just makes you think about not only what the past might have been like if it was a little bit different <coughs> but also the future and now that things like marijuana are legalized and decriminalized how will we be able to develop products out of hemp because that's the real thing that was becoming illegalized um, so DuPont Chemical Company had money in this and on the you know closely related to the the board of directors was a man named Andrew Mellon he was very successful um, I believe he he sold oil or something or or steel um, I'm not the most educated on him exactly but you know if you know him you know that there's a school uh, based on it, it's got his name in it you know Carnegie and Mellon um, he was a big guy and he obviously had money in this company so him and another big company runner named William, uh, I believe, Rudolph Hurst. Um, they kind of conspired to get rid of hemp. So the man, William Rudolph Hurst, was not a fan of hemp because he was a paper producer and he was producing paper out of trees. And hemp was supposed to be a much cleaner, easier alternative to getting paper from trees. So also uh, there were now this is uh, I believe this to be true uh, the sources were a little questionable but there were uh, reportedly Mexican soldiers so he had land where he was growing trees in Mexico and Mexican revolutionary soldiers were taking over the land where he had trees and they were reported to be smoking marijuana while they did it because that's um, it's a part of their culture if you don't know that um, they were pretty heavily connected for a long time and, and still kind of are so he had this personal beef and uh, he was also alarmingly racist he owned a newspaper company and he would often publish you know publications about minorities and the problems they were causing in America because this was uh, the early 1900s around the 1930s so um, he conspired with Andrew Mellon Andrew Mellon had a cousin 
named Harry Anslinger, who was appointed to be um, a chairman of a board on the Department of the Treasury called uh, the Marijuana Tax, uh, I believe it was the Marijuana Tax like Association, wh whatever the acronym was, whatever they are. Um, these guys were dedicated to what they called the Marijuana Tax Act, and they they decided that the definition of marijuana, so first of all, nobody... Nobody used the term marijuana before these newspaper reports were published, and they decided that marijuana was not only cannabis indica and cannabis sativa, but also the branch of cannabis sativa that was called hemp even though hemp does not produce any THC or THC products, uh, it has um, small amounts, I believe, of, of CBD. Well, it also has THC, but it's um, such a small amount that no matter how much hemp you come in contact with, you can't uh, experience the psychoactive effects of THC. So, they banned hemp as well, and that was the real target of the Marijuana Tax Act, because uh, prior to that, marijuana was, le well, you know, weed, sorry, I'm not going to call it marijuana, uh, weed was legal in the United States for, for hundreds of years before that, um, but they got it banned, and they decided to go forward with their um, new nylon and gasoline you know, manufacturing, and as we have it today, it's it's still that way, and it's to the point now where we have to import huge amounts of fossil fuels and petroleum and, and gasoline from other countries, um, and we're subject to their trade rules and international trade rules and all kinds of you know things that are are complicated and and in some sense unnecessary but it kind of makes me think about the you know what what reason they could have had for doing this it's not just the money i think i think you know i'm not going to be the one to say that marijuana is completely harmless and it's not to blame over anything because there have been real life reported events of people experiencing problems um, whether it be within your own head kind of freaking out and you you have a panic attack and you have to call the police and you actually have some physiological forms of, of you know anxiety and panic and you start to malfunction basically that has been reported to happen, but it's not, uh, it's not, let's say, likely. It's not a known uh, effect of marijuana. It's mostly, I believe, if you're careful about the consumption and the way that you do it, um, let's say you're not able to, to smoke it and it has bad effects if you smoke it. There are oils, tinctures, um, foods that you can eat that can provide you with uh, THC or CBD and it can really help you in your life you know if you experience some form of chronic pain or some kind of life altering 
affliction, you can go to this plant with all kinds of medical benefits and really the things that it can do are, are kind of hard to believe, you know, but I, I hope I don't sound biased or anything, but they, there are real effects that marijuana can have that, that will kind of transform your life for the better. And the, the real issue is knowing when the amount that you use is beneficial to you and when it ends up harming you more. And it, it puts you into a worse place. That's what I think people need to watch out for and be careful of. Because really any addiction is, in my opinion, a form of another psychological issue coming out. Um, via the way that you abuse drugs, whatever it may be, you know, whether you're into benzos or opiates, opioids, um, might even be THC if you really um, put yourself into a place where your emotional state is dependent on whether or not you are smoking your herb, that, that's a real predicament that you can put yourself in, but all of these issues are a result of an internal state of turmoil where something's going on within you uh, that you might not like, you know, you might want to fix it or you might want to get away from it simply and people think that turning to their, um, you know, vice of choice will eliminate this problem from their life and help them out and save them when in reality a lot of the time it kind of adds you to a world of separate problems and you start to go down this other hole and once you get to a point where you're helplessly addicted it, it starts dragging down the other areas of your life like a large black hole of density and mass you know it's it's this reaction within your brain that's kind of going unchecked you know people aren't able to talk you out of your mindset you know people aren't able to convince you to see the light and when you're willingly altering your your psychological state in such a way that you lose a sense of what you should be as a person that's bad that's when you have to solve the other issues in your life and then you can I mean, uh, well, let me not say that it's in that order because you might have to first solve your drug abuse problem and then work on the rest of your life that's causing that problem. But the point is that you can do it. And it's not like, yeah, it's not impossible. And with the resources that we have nowadays, the psychology experts, your boy included, um, you can go to for help and they can help you dig through when you start to look at your emotional reactions and you take the base behavior and you look at the underlying emotion right so that's the first layer so you start with this surface level emotion that comes out in the form of what you say or what you do so you take that action and you think about okay what what what, what inclined me to take this action what, why was I to the point where I had to do it like this and you think about that and you say it's because I was angry 
or it's because I was sad. You you look at that and you go, okay, what was I sad about? And you you discover all of a sudden that you were sad because you were in the middle of an argument and somebody blamed you for something that you felt like you didn't do. And that might trigger a certain response within you based on your own personal history. And so when you're able to say, I acted out the way I spoke because I was sad or angry, because you overlooked um, the way I feel in this argument and you said something that I didn't think was true. When you're able to say that, all of a sudden, the problem basically resolves itself. You have it in a self-contained loop because you know not only the action, the underlying emotion, but also what caused it. So you can maybe try to prevent that from happening and you can communicate that to people and tell them, hey, uh, watch out for this maybe. Um, you know, if you say a certain thing, I might, um, I might become a little extra offended by it. And that, that in itself is a resolution because the way people are, we're social creatures and we're designed to tune in to the people around us and what their emotional triggers and their emotional cues are and what their baseline emotional state may be um, and, and how they might react to a certain event. So if you can kind of address the emotion and not the action, then that's when you have emotional intelligence. And you guys just learned something here today. So I hope you take this and apply it to your daily life. I gotta wake up Uncle Tony here. He's fucking napping on the job. How you doing? I was going off for maybe the past 10 minutes. You got anything to say? So, if you have emotional intelligence, you have the ability to communicate and see where people are coming from and see how you might react in a way that, that would pacify them and also solve your problem. So that, I think, is the best skill that you can have in life. The ability to, to look at anybody and what they're saying and understand where that might be coming from and the reasons why they're they're acting a certain way, you know? Um, and I want to be able to teach everybody about that because I believe that it is sort of up to you to determine your emotional state, you know, whether you have feelings of insecurity and inferiority is a big issue. Um, and it's very life-consuming, it's very uh, immediate, it's very, you know, encompassing. It, it, it takes up a lot of areas of your life. However, you can learn to control that emotional state up to a certain point and be able to motivate yourself to bounce back and to look at your current situation as sort of uh, a clay that's building you up and it's setting down a foundation so you can do hard work and lay a brick and then you've got clay backing it up you know and you have to you have to work your problems uh, into something that you can work with and 
it's not saying that you won't be sad or you won't be angry, you know, because everybody experiences experiences these things within day to day, week to week, month to month. You know, everybody experiences feelings of an inferiority, uh, fuck, inferiority and insecurity. And, like, you know, it, it doesn't matter who you are or what level you are. E- even if you're somewhat secure of yourself, your instincts are going to give you doubts at certain times in order to motivate you to look into these problems that are appearing in your brain, if that makes any sense. So when you're doubting yourself, it, it's more of a way of, of seeing what's wrong, you know, because every action, every emotion has an underlying cause. That's what I believe. I believe we don't have emotion without first experiencing some kind of stimulus. Um, that's according according to a, a psychological theory that I just learned about, um, which states that subjective experience comes after your uh, after you perceive a situation and your autonomic nervous system responds to it, you then analyze your situation and develop an emotional response to it. And that response is entirely based off of what you think or what you subjectively experience. So the way that you proceed with that is also based on your subjective experience. So. Let's say um, something happens at work, somebody makes a joke about you, and they say that you're short. And if you perceive this to be a direct frontal attack on your person and your character, you're going to have a bad time. You know, you're going to think, damn, you know, I can't believe they said that. I'm, I'm really pissed off right now. But if, let's say, you're regarding it, with a more positive attitude and you're trying to see the good in it or the not hostile rather you know the not bad um, as opposed to the good you'll be like ah man you know that 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 was a little unnecessary but I think you know some people laughed at it and it was a pretty funny moment in the end and I'm, I'm not gonna take that personally against Dave for calling me a short fat fuck because Dave is a big skinny goofy bitch and I'm gonna get him back you know I, and, and that, 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 that example is not necessarily applicable to everything but if you see the concept I'm talking about it's basically you can have an unconditional positive regard to every experience in your life and view it as fuel for your engine and motivation for you to keep going and forget about the trash talk that you just experienced because you know personally within yourself that you are more than what they think and you can push yourself to become more than even you think you can and that's what makes the human experience great is because we're designed to experience some kind of pushback at first and then react to it by adapting changing up our own situation, changing up the amount of value that's within our person, and then going back to that situation and taking on the situation again. 
and that's what makes us the top of the food chain that's what makes us the the best species on earth i suppose or at least you know the best uh producing species because we have the facilities to see any situation and adapt to it in the way that we see fit and of course it's built on trial and error so there's going to be some people who run into a wall and they experience the error and for a long time that meant that you die because uh, in a survival situation there's not really you know error is either you live or you die error is when you break your ankle against a saber-toothed tiger you're running away from it and you step on a root and you trip and you 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 fuck yourself up and that saber-toothed tiger gets you bye-bye and that's when you know the next person who gets chased by a tiger has to consider the way that they run and they have to maybe train a little bit they gotta run a little more they gotta know the land a little better just in case they do see a tiger and that's the system which is the backbone of of our entire existence is that you have to find a way to experience the error you know and then learn from it and take that to heart and consider it the next time you reapproach the problem because you know you're smart you have a big brain and that that's the capacity that we have so you just have to be aware of that you know you are designed to solve problems and we get an inherent sense of satisfaction when we take on a problem and we find an entirely new situation to it that's what propels people to do science and invent technology and all of this you know make art and music and companies that make money and all of these things that make us very distinctly human um, and all of our pursuits you know we, we we do it because we love to do it and sometimes you might not love to do it you're a little more risk averse you're more risk neutral maybe um, that's fine you know you have to find the things within your own circle that interest you and stimulate you and you have to find ways of improving yourself doesn't matter who you are you will not be satisfied if you want to talk about self-actualization as the highest point in human experience you will not be satisfied unless you're constantly adding something new you know experiencing something completely unprecedented and learning something new about your situation and your surroundings you will not be uh, happy unless you can adapt to something because that's really that's who we are that's that's why we're designed to get dopamine after doing a task um, is so that we can condition ourselves to survive more and it's really quite uh, I, boy I don't even know the word it's just it's trippy really the way that life exists out of matter and out of cells out of photons out of electrons and neutrons and how all of these things come together and create intelligent life which is capable of sustaining itself and recording podcasts 
and making computers and microchips and getting along with other species and other you know people from other cultures that's one of the biggest um, you know the biggest achievements in life I would say is to be able to be understood by anybody and to be able to project an image of confidence and calm capability you know people will stand behind you 100% of the time if you can product if you can conduct yourself in such a way that you project confidence and it's possible for anybody to do that so I urge you to practice having confidence and believing yourself in yourself rather um, and in your abilities and try to take yourself to the next level whatever it is you do or enjoy see if there's a step that you can take within this next week to better yourself and to learn something new about something that you do um, maybe you can make it more efficient or more fun or you know less uh, time-consuming what whatever it is whatever it may be find a way to to push yourself and watch yourself enjoy the benefits you know if you like to work out go find a completely new workout and do it all in one day and make sure you leave everything out there and give 100 percent of your capabilities and watch yourself as you transform from a person who tries to sit back and experience these uh, highs of achievement by doing nothing you go from that to becoming somebody who chases those highs of achievement by going to complete different things on your own because you want to and because you are intrinsically motivating yourself and you know if you uh, are an artist go learn a new technique that betters your perception of the world that gives you a more clear focus on the what's in front of you and what you can put down on a piece of paper if you make music go listen to somebody's music you know go go look at somebody's art if you make art go work out with somebody that you admire if you work out you know to find something that you can do that betters yourself and your potential and it will transform your life the power of habit is a book that I read um, that states that the, the cycles of habit that we get into are uh, entirely influenced by us and we can form new habits with new um, end goals in sight and motivate ourselves to pursue new goals it's actually very easy it's what you're programmed to do you just have to be conscious of it I, I highly recommend purchasing and buying that book um, I'm gonna figure out what the title of it is here okay the book is called The Power of Habit and it's by Charles Duhigg D-U-H-I-G-G -G. it's a great book uh, you know it'll help you take the first step to transforming your life and I think this is gonna wrap it up you know Uncle Tony has officially been asleep for 27 minutes uh, I think that's how long I was ranting and rambling here for so that was a new thing for me Goodbye, everyone.